All right, good morning. We'll get started. I know they ran long for service. We'll let everybody catch up when they get here. All right, this week, week number three, Galatians. For those of you who haven't been here before, we're doing the New Testament in the order that it was written to try to get an understanding of what the audience was and what the cultural background behind each book. Uh, first week was uh, general orientation. Last week was the book of James. This week is the book of Galatians. Uh, and so you get to meet two of the, in the first two weeks, you get to meet two of the large authors of the New Testament. Uh, in fact, some people argue that James actually should have been the first pope. If you believe Peter was the first pope, I actually read a guy this week saw his, his, his uh, YouTube that he goes, no, James actually was really the first pope, if you believe in popes. James was the first pope. Peter was a church planter. James was the church ruler, church runner. Uh, and so they really should be James. And as we talked about, James's real name in, in Hebrew was actually Jacob, not James. Just to confuse everybody. So it really should be the book of Jacob. Uh, this is the book of Galatians. It really is the book of Galatians. Uh, we're, not, we're not changing the names. Uh, so, the usual things, who wrote it, when was it written, where was it written, why was it written. Uh, and it's really interesting that the first two books of the Bible talk about the same problem, which is how do you know you're a disciple? But they come at it from totally different directions. Uh, and I, I'm hopefully going to do another... Uh, what do I want to call that? Uh, visual. A visual aid that was better than last week. Since Jane said she didn't understand it, and she's married to me, so. <laughs> <laughs> my wife we said she. Very my wife said she loved it. All right. <laughs> so because I was confused. Yes. There it goes. So fifty-fifty. I was fifty-fifty last week. All right. Who wrote it? Everybody agrees. Paul the apostle wrote the book of Galatians. It's one of the few books that people go, yeah, Paul wrote it. You don't even, there's not even questions about, oh, one of his disciples wrote it in the 300s. Everyone goes, don't, Paul wrote it. Uh, and so the real question is, who is Paul? We all know him, if you've been in church forever, because Paul wrote half the New, New Testament. Uh, I think he probably wrote as much. John may have written more if you look at total number of words. Because all, John, all John's books are long. Except, well, first, second, third, John is short. Revelation and John are really long. Paul tends to write shorter, more discreet books. So the question is, who is Paul? All right, let's, let's get some background on Paul. And also tells you, allows you to understand where he's coming from when he writes these books. Paul was born in Tarsus, uh, which is a Roman colony. And it's also the home of Stoicism. Uh, and, I, and all you, if you remember basically a little bit of a high school or wherever you learned some of the things, what, what is Stoicism? Uh, I had to look it up. What we call Stoics and what Stoicism is are not necessarily the same thing. Uh, this is the Stoic happiness triangle. Uh, Stoics are not very emotional people. That's where we get the concept of Stoicism. But the whole thing is... Make the best use to what's in your power. Take responsibility. 
and live the best version of your life moment to moment. Make the best decisions as you go on. That's Stoicism. That's where that originated in Tarsus, and that's where the home of Stoicism was. So when Paul is born and grows up in Tarsus, that's what he's surrounded with as far as philosophies. Uh, the important part about being in Tarsus, Tarsus is a Roman colony. Roman colonies, if you're born in a Roman colony, you're automatically a Roman citizen. That is the, uh, the Willy Wonka golden ticket in the Roman Empire. If you're a Roman citizen, you have power that a lot of people do not. Uh, Paul, so Paul is a Roman citizen. Uh, he's fairly wealthy. We know this two two reasons. One is his family we know are tent makers. You basically did what your father did. When we think tent makers, we think, you know, sewing cloth together. That's not tents in the first century. Tents in the first century are leather. He's a leather worker. The other thing you need to know about Tarsus is it's a Roman colony, it's a Roman capital. There are Roman legions based there. What do the Roman legions all need when they march? Tents. They also make uh, backpacks. They also make, you know, hats, etc. Because in the first century, everything's out of leather. So that's a, a good occupation to be in if you're living in Tarsus where the Roman legions are. So his family was fairly wealthy. We also know that he's wealthy because he becomes a disciple of Gamaliel. Gamaliel. Uh, in the Pharisees, there are two major schools, Shammai and Hallel. School of Hallel. Uh, they, they had some technical arguments against each other, but they're all Pharisees. So the school of Hillel is like the Harvard if you're a Jewish uh, if you're a Jewish man and you want to be a rabbi, everyone, everyone goes to school locally when you start somewhere around five or six. When they notice that you're really bright, they may start thinking you need to go back to Jerusalem where the real schools are. Uh, so this tells you that his parents were also in the school of Hillel. Because Paul gets sent at probably age 10 to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel. And it's not, this is not like Harvard where you've got 10,000 people. There's a sm they only take a very small amount of people to study. The important about is Hillel is the president of the Sanhedrin up through AD 20. That's a very, very, very influential person in Judaism. When he dies in AD 20, Shammai, the other major Pharisee, takes over and is president from 20 to 30. So the entire time that when Jesus comes before the Sanhedrin, uh, Paul would have been one of the assistants of the Sanhedrin at that time. Because Gamaliel... We know in the book of Acts, shows up a couple times. He shows up in Luke, he shows up in Acts to, to talk, to say some wise things. So we know Paul's around. So Paul would have been at age 10 ish, sent to Jerusalem where he studies. Uh, he, we also know that he probably saw Jesus. It's not like on the road to Damascus, the first time he ever saw Jesus. He would have been, when you see in the book of Mark, Matthew, Luke, 
The Pharisees send someone out to talk to Jesus. The big rabbis are not going to talk to Jesus. Culturally, that didn't occur. They would have sent their uh, students. So Paul very likely saw Jesus in Jerusalem. Uh, and he was definitely there for the crucifixion. Uh, he probably was there for the trial. Uh, and then we know that immediately afterwards, Paul's the guy that goes out and starts uh, going after all the Christians everywhere. So Paul's pretty influential in the Pharisee world. And I also found this while I studied. He may actually have been related to Herod. Uh, in Romans 16.11, he says to, to say hi to Herodias, who is my kinsman. You only have a last name of Herod if you're related to Herod. It's not, like Herod was not the person that the average Jew would have named his kids after. Herod hated the Jews. The Jews hated Herod. Uh, so no Jewish mom or dad is going to name their child Herod or Herodias, unless that's their family. Uh, and actually, Josephus actually mentions a person named Saulus who is related to Herod. And putting those together, we think, so Paul may have been some relative of his. It's not like he's his you know, cousins. He doesn't hang out, you know, at the beach with Herod. Uh, but So that also tells you he's fairly influential. So this is Paul who writes all these books. So keep that in your back, in your, the background of your mind when you read Paul. He is very educated. He is the educated equivalent of, of the Harvard. Uh, he grew up in an area that speaks fluent Greek. He obviously reads and speaks Hebrew because he was in uh, Jerusalem. Uh, he probably speaks Latin. Because again, he's in Tarsus, which is a Roman colony, and he's a Roman citizen. Very, very educated person. All right, when was it written? Two theories. You have the North Galatians theory and the South Galatians theory. Uh, let me see if I make your map here. This is North Galatia or South Galatia. This is Paul's first missionary journey, which occurs 46 to 48. Uh, it starts in the Antioch. They go around. This is Tarsus, by the way, where Paul lives, where he grew up. Uh, the reason this is a very important city is that there's a road that runs up the coast. It goes along here. Tarsus is on that road. If you're on the road, you make money. If you're not on the road, you don't, because all... The grain shipments, all the tax shipments during the winter when you can't sail come up this road. Uh, so this is Paul's first missionary journey to Cyprus, Pamphylia, up here to Antioch, Pisidia, Nicodium, Derby, Lystra, back and back. Uh, his second missionary journey is this. After the Jerusalem Council, which we'll talk about, uh, he goes back and says, let's see the churches that we planted. So up through Tarsus, goes to his hometown, sees mom and dad, uh, or cousins or sisters, whoever. Uh, up through here, up to here, all the way around Greece, and back. You will notice, neither trip does he ever go into northern Galatia, uh, which makes the, normal, the northern Galatia theory a little... How long would it take him to do that trip? Oh, years. Years. I mean, if you went straight and didn't stop and plant churches, it would take you a year. Because you're, you're on foot, and that's very hilly, mountainous area. 
Uh, and so it, it, that's a long trip. Uh, in theory, he could do, you know, I guess if you had, uh, if you had a horse, or horses, uh, you could do it quicker. Uh, but the reality is you had to wait till uh, groups traveled because once you get outside the cities, it's lawless. So you have to protect yourself. So you only traveled in groups. It wasn't like you took, I'm, you know, I'm jumping in my car and I'm driving from Lister to Derby. I wait until a group of people are going to make that move. Uh, hey, so, Jeff. Yes. The interesting thing about Paul's missionary journeys is that at that time, he, because he was a Roman citizen, all he needed to say was, I'm a Roman citizen. If you did that today, you would need 17 different passport stamps and 17 different currencies to do it. Right. Until the euro. When the euro came up, it's back to we're all Europe. That's right. So we've gotten all the way back to where the Romans were right. 2,000 years ago. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and also the thing is that when you cross boundaries, you have to pay taxes. So they, every time you cross a boundary from one state to the other, they're going to look at you and say, when, when you see that calling of Matthew, that's where he's at. He's sitting at a tax booth. So when you pass by, you go, what do you got? Oh, man, we need a little taxes. Roman citizen, guess who's exempt? Paul. Because he goes, let, let me pull this little thing out, which you wear, this little thing around your neck. I'm a Roman. And they go, oh, not going to bother you. So being a Roman citizen is very helpful. Uh, so most people agree South Galatian theory is written about 48 AD after his first trip, but before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. Because what happens is, the and it, we get into it a little bit in this book, is the guys who are in Jerusalem think James from last week go, hey, wait a minute, we're hearing that you have done this. Come and talk to us. And, and let's, let's agree on stuff. Uh, the North Galatians theory uh, is 10 years later. One of the reasons I don't think the North Galatians theory holds ice is this little thing here. Uh, these are Jewish cities where there are synagogues. You'll notice up here there are no synagogues. So it's unlikely the Jewish teacher, the Jewish Christians would have gone where there's no synagogues to try to convert the Christians who are Greek. Uh, whereas if you look at Lower Galatia, there, there are several synagogues. And so that's why I think it was written in 48 AD before the Jerusalem <coughs> Council. Uh, it also makes sense because when, you, when we get into the book and, and look at it, you realize that what he's talking about in this book, the Jerusalem Council taught, answers and tells the Jews how to deal with that. Yeah, let's see if I missed anything I want to talk about. This, this is the, uh, from Acts, this is the Jerusalem Council. Uh, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia, uh, greetings. We heard that I like this. We heard that some have went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, which tells you that they're already the Judaizing teachers are in Galatia. And trouble your minds by what they said. So we agreed to choose some men and send them with our friends Barnabas and Saul. We're sending Judas and Silas to confirm as witnesses that what we say is true. Uh, and that 
it was good to the Holy Spirit to not to burden you with anything beyond the following. Abstain from food from idols with blood, from meat with strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Do these things and you do well. Farewell. That's the Jerusalem Council. Uh, and so when you look at that, you realize that that letter would have stopped a lot of what Paul is talking about in Galatians. Clearly it doesn't because there are other books that we get into later in the Bible that cover the same thing. Where is it written from? Probably Antioch, Assyria. Assuming that he's back from his first missionary journey, that's where Paul lived. He lived in Antioch. Well, if you can say he lived anywhere, he lived in Antioch. He was a missionary of the church in Antioch. Why was it written? Uh, grace versus works, liberty versus law. All right. We're going to try my visual <laughs> example one at time again. Becca, you can stand up and hold this right here. <laughs> Turn around and show that. Let me borrow you for a second. All right. There are two <coughs> extremes in Christianity. You have extreme number one, which James talked about last week which is liberty and cheap grace. Liberty is, I was born a Jew. This is what James talks about. I was born a Jew. I'm one of God's elect, and I believe in the Messiah. Therefore, I'm in. I don't have, because I, am, I was born that way, and I believe. I don't have to do anything because I'm in. That's cheap grace. That's liberty. This book, Galatians, is the other end of the spectrum. This is talking about laws, about rules, about earning your way to heaven. What happens here is the Judaizing teachers come into Galatia and say, oh yeah, Paul did not tell you the whole truth. He says, yeah, 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 yeah. You, you, get, you get salvation through Jesus, but there are certain things you have to do in order to be saved. And in this, and the Judaizing teachers said, here's all these rules and laws we have. One, you have to become a Jew. You have to live like a Jew. And so Christianity becomes Jewish. There are lots of churches today that live in this spectrum. If you grew up Church of Christ in the 60s and 70s, you recognize this. <laughs> lots of rules. Uh, there are churches today who live in this spectrum. What's your brother? Uh, Steve. Quaker. Quaker. Quaker church is this. There are no rules. God loves you. Whatever you feel is right, is right. That's Quakerism. There are, there are lots of other churches that live in this as well, too. And what you have is in this two, first two books written, you see James over here pushing the disciples saying, no, it's not, yes, you are, it's a free gift, but because you are saved, you live a certain way. And you can tell people are saved by the way they live. You're not earning your salvation. You're living this way because Christ lives in you. And so James is pushing you in this middle. Paul comes into Galatia where he's already, he's already been once. And now he hears reports of the Judaizing teachers are there saying, oh, there are all these rules you have to go by. 
you know, if, you, if you're Church of Christ, it's Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, uh, a cappella. So what other rules do we have? No mixed swimming. Uh, no, uh, no dancing. Don't, don't, uh, don't drink, dance, uh, smoke, smoke or chew, or run around with those that do. That's right. Uh, that's also, by the way, Southern Baptist. I learned that from a Southern Baptist. Uh, so we have all these rules that we have to abide by. And Paul goes, wait a minute. Let me push you back this direction again in the middle. It's, you are saved by grace because you are filled with the Spirit. You're going to act in a certain way. So both James and Paul are pushing to the same location here in the middle, which is that it's not cheap grace, it's not works. It's, I'm saved because of grace, and I live in a certain way because I'm saved, because for Paul, which we'll look at today, I'm full with the Holy Spirit. Because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I live in a certain way, which is here in the middle. It's not, I'm, I'm forcing God, I'm earning my way to heaven, I'm forcing God to allow me into heaven because I'm checking off the boxes. Paul says that's not the gospel. All right, thank you. Hopefully that is more understandable than last week. But, that, but that's what, why Galatians is written. Grace versus works, liberty versus law. There's this constant dynamic tension as you live as a Christian between the two. Liberty and law, grace and works. And the whole New Testament talks about that. And each book, depending on what, who they're written for, talk, emphasizes one over the other. All right, let's try this again. It's try to load. Galatians with this summary 
they have the gospel message about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic family of Jesus and Abraham. And then he shows how this gospel is what truly transforms people by the presence and power of the Spirit. He opens by expressing his bewilderment that the Galatians have embraced a different gospel. It's the one promoted by these Christians who badmouth Paul and demand circumcision. So Paul first defends the authenticity of his message and authority as an apostle. He was commissioned by the risen Jesus himself to go to the non-Jewish world. Remember the story from the Acts. Paul says it was only later that he went to Jerusalem to consult the other apostles like Peter and James. And when he told them he wasn't requiring non-Jewish Christians to be circumcised or eat kosher, they were in full support. But this tension ran deeper. Peter had come to Antioch to visit and see all these non-Jewish Christians. He was eating and mingling with them. But when some of this Jerusalem opposition group showed up in Antioch, Peter caved under their pressure. He stopped eating with these uncircumcised Christians, and he was avoiding them. And so Paul confronted and accused Peter of hypocrisy, of not staying true to the gospel. For Paul, demanding these new Christians to become circumcised and Torah observant is wrong-headed for all kinds of reasons. First of all, because it's a betrayal of the gospel, where in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by the faith of Jesus the Messiah. And we have faith in the Messiah Jesus. To be justified, or literally to be declared righteous, is a rich Old Testament term for Paul. It's when God declares that someone is in a right relationship with him. They're forgiven, they're given a place in God's family, and they are being transformed by God's grace. And it's Paul's conviction that no one can be justified by observing the commands of the Torah, but only by the faith of Jesus. This is a dense phrase, and it could refer to Jesus' own faithfulness in living and dying on our behalf, or it could refer to our own trust and devotion to Jesus. Either way, the point is clear. People are justified only through trusting in what God did for them through Jesus, not by what they do for themselves. At the heart of Paul's gospel is this claim that when people trust in the Messiah Jesus, what's true of him becomes true of them. His life, death, and resurrection become theirs. Or in his words, I've been crucified with the Messiah. And it's not I who come back to life, it's the Messiah living in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so the reason anyone can say that they are right with God or belong to Jesus' covenant family is not because they obey the laws of the Torah. It's only because of what Jesus did for them that they could never do for themselves. Now, there's a profound understanding of what Jesus accomplished. It has huge implications for who can now be included in God's covenant and for what it means to live as a member of that family. So Paul first turns to the story about Abraham in Genesis, how he was justified or declared righteous before God by simply having faith, by trusting in God's promise that one day all nations would find God's blessing through him and his offspring. God's purpose was always to have one large multi-ethnic family of people who relate to him on the basis of faith, not on the law of the Torah. But that raises an important question. Why did God give the laws of the Torah to Israel then? 
Here Paul offers a very brief and condensed explanation that he will later fill out in his letter to the Romans. He observes that the laws of the Torah were given to Israel at Mount Sinai long after God's promise to Abraham. And if you read the Torah carefully, he says, you'll see that God always intended the laws to be a temporary measure. He says the laws had both a negative and a positive role. Negatively, the laws acted like a magnifying glass on Israel's sin. They exposed how Israel shared in the sinful human condition, constantly rebelling against God's law. And so the law, which is good, ended up pronouncing Israel guilty and all humanity with them. Or in his words, the laws imprisoned everyone under the power of sin. But the laws also had a positive role. They acted like a strict school teacher that kept Israel in line until the coming of the promised offspring of Abraham, the Messiah. And once the Messiah came, he fulfilled the purpose of the laws on Israel's behalf. Jesus was the faithful Israelite who truly loved God and neighbor. And as Israel's king, he died to take the curse and consequence of Israel's failure into himself and bring redemption. And so now through Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, God's blessing can come to all people, regardless of their ethnicity, social status, or gender. For Paul, the requirement of Torah observance for non-Jewish Christians, it makes no sense. It's acting as if Jesus didn't fulfill God's promise or deal with our sins. It neglects the new freedom gained for us through Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, and it limits God's promise and blessing to one ethnic family. But, Paul's opponents might argue, the laws of the Torah, they're a proven guide to living according to God's will. How will non-Jewish Christians learn this? Paul responds in chapter 5 and 6 by describing how Jesus' transformed presence through the Spirit is the key. The laws of the Torah are good, they're wise, Paul says. In fact, they can all be summarized, as Jesus did, in the command to love your neighbor as yourself. But the laws, good as they are, they did not give Israel the power to obey them. In contrast, the good news is that Jesus did fulfill the laws on our behalf, and now he lives in us through the Spirit, making his people into new humans who fulfill the law by loving others. So Paul goes on to contrast this old and new humanity. The habits of the old humanity are obvious. These are behaviors that dehumanize people, they destroy relationships and whole communities. And while the laws of the Torah prohibited these behaviors, Jesus actually put them to death on the cross. So when a person trusts in Jesus and lives in dependence on the Spirit, his life becomes theirs and produces what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. This is Jesus' way of life that he wants to reproduce in his family so that they become people of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But this fruit isn't automatic, Paul says. It requires cultivation, just like real fruit. Or in his words, if we live by the Spirit, we have to keep in step with the Spirit. This requires intentionality. We have to learn how to prune off our old habits and cultivate new ones. And as we do so, we find ourselves carried along by the Spirit. As Jesus reshapes our minds and hearts and makes us into people who love God and others. And in this way, Jesus' people fulfill what Paul calls the Torah of the Messiah. In the end, Paul concludes, this requirement for Christians to become Torah observant or be circumcised. It's an adventure in missing the point. What really matters is God's new creation. 
this new multi-ethnic family of the Messiah, people full of faith in Jesus who are learning to love God and others with the power of the Spirit. And that's what the letter to the Galatians is all about. All right, simple enough. Just go and learn that. <laughs> All right, we got 12 minutes. Pick your Bibles up. Open up to Galatians. Hopefully, some of you read that this week. There's no way I can do the entire book of Galatians in 12 minutes. Uh, Josh would take about a quarter to preach this book. Uh, it is one of the most densely written uh, books in the New Testament. It's just like every verse is a sermon. Uh, well, let's hit some of the highlights. Uh, chapter one, Paul is explaining, or not explaining, but reminding the Galatians of who he is. Because remember, Paul's been through here. He lived with them. He planted churches, uh, and so he's reminding them who he is. Uh, in verse 6, chapter 1, he says, I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of God for a different gospel. That's the gospel of works, the Judaizing teachers come and saying, yes, you can be a Christian, but you've got to be a Jew first. And so Paul, is in the rest of this book, he's going to hammer that thought over and over and over again. Uh, he, uh, as you move through verse 13, through the end of the chapter, Paul gives a lot of history that we don't get anywhere else. The fact that he converts on the road to Damascus. He then goes to what he calls Arabia for three years. He then comes back to Damascus. He goes down and says, the only, time, the only time I saw anyone in Jerusalem is for 15 days I went and saw Peter. And while I was there, I also saw James, the Lord's brother. He says, and then I went back home for 10 years. Uh, so, from the time of Paul's conversion to this time that he's writing this letter, uh, it's three years in Arabia. He says, it's 14 years until I went back to Jerusalem, which is the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. So, Paul is 17 years after conversion. He's now writing this letter. So also tells us that this is probably you know, 80, 48 or so. Can, can I make a yes, point? Yes, jump in there. I think the point of him saying all that is, I didn't get this from anybody. Else. Yeah. This, this is something from between me and God that I learned. Uh, if you'll notice how many times he says, revealed, revelation, I did not consult any man. I didn't receive it from men, revelation. In that first chapter, I got this from God. Oh yeah, he's just—he—he he is mic dropping here, going like, everyone going like, well, you know, because you know the guys from Jerusalem that came down to Judaism and said, well, you know, what James told us, because in the Jewish way you quoted your rabbi, and so they would have considered James the head of the church, and so you know they're coming up going like, you know, James told us this is what you need, so. Paul, in this first chapter, Mike drops him and goes, oh, 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 James, I, Jesus told me. Boom. Uh, and that's exactly what he's doing here. He's telling them, uh, yeah, you may, have, they may have said James did him. I know because I talked to James. He didn't say it. But 
Jesus told me directly to do this. And he sent the Holy Spirit to me. Uh, so, I mean, this is very much him being hierarchical. I guess that's the right word. Going like, yeah, I'm from Jesus. I'm not from James. I'm not from Peter. Jesus came and told me to do this and sent the Spirit with me. And then uh, Galatians 2, you see, you see the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, so you saw what they say in Acts. What they say, here's Paul's interpretation of the Council of Jerusalem. Uh, they only ask us to remember the poor, the very thing I was equally to do, eager to do. So that's Paul's interpretation of what you saw in Acts. They had all the little list of things to do. What Paul remembers them saying is, just remember the poor. I.e., what's James, remember the book of James last week? What's James say the Christians are supposed to do? Remember the poor. Take care of the people who are less well off than you. It's exactly what Paul is saying. You'll see people that say that Paul and James are diametrically opposed and that they both can't be right. But they are. They're just approaching the same problem from two different directions. But they get to the same place, which is that what's Christian walk? Remember the poor. Remember the people who are less well off than you. And then Paul's going to jump again into what is the Christian walk here in chapter 5. Uh, and, then he talk, and then Paul also talks about opposing Peter, where Peter comes down and, and withdraws from the, from the non-Jews. And Paul, uh, that would have been a very interesting conversation. Uh, just between the two of them. Uh, and then you, you roll into Galatians 3. And again, this is when he starts... This is an incredibly dense book at this point. Uh, he says, you know, did you hear, did you suffer so many things in vain, if that's in vain? Then he jumps up, Abraham. Every Jew says what? I'm the son of Abraham. He's, that's their number one thing. Because we see it, we'll see in the Gospels when we get to those that they're, you know, saying, you know, I'm saved because I'm the son of Abraham. Paul here says, Wait a minute, you don't... Abraham was not Jewish. There's no Jews yet. But, but, you know, they're, not, they're not Jews until much later. It says, Abraham, yeah, yeah, Abraham's your father, but Abraham's also the father of Ishmael. And so then Abraham is saved through faith in God. He's not a Jew because there is no Judaism. There is no law at the time Abraham's around. He's saved because he has faith in God. So he basically is trumping. You know, they're, if, if they're playing cards, the Judaizing teachers are laying out their cards going, yeah, here's what you need to do, here's what you need to do, here's what, you know, you know David, you know, you know all the other great uh, figures in uh, Hebrew history, Look at all these guys. And Paul trumps and goes, here's Abraham, who you all trace your lineage back to. We are, we are sons of Abraham. Abraham's not a Jew. Abraham is a child of God because of faith. And then he continues that on. 
And then it uh, talks about the intent of the law that it's to show you where you fail as opposed to guide you through. And here's the verse that everyone loves in Galatians. If, if you're on this side of church, you love this verse. However, the people that love this verse tend to forget to read the rest of Galatians. This verse is, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there's neither male or female, they're all one in Jesus Christ. People take that out of context. Paul is talking about salvation. He's not talking about your walk. He's talking about salvation. He says, it doesn't matter who you are. Because he's, you know, the Jews are saying you have to be a Jew first. It's not enough. It doesn't matter that you're slave, free, anything. Christ came for you because he's going to create, as the, the video said, this multi-ethnic family that's all called the him. This is, has nothing to do with your roles in life or anything else. This has to do with salvation. Do you have to be something other than you are to be saved? The answer is no. Everybody is saved through faith in Christ. That was a big deal to women. Oh, yeah, because women were their property at the time. And then as we, as we flip through, uh, talk about slaves and free. Uh, and then you, you know, get the famous part in chapter 5, which is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, you are called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. So that's Paul saying... It, get away from works, but don't go all the way over here to free liberty where you say there are no rules. I can live how I want. When we get to First and Second Corinthians in about two weeks, that's what Paul's going to argue, because Corinthians are on this side. They're, they're all about liberty. Because God saved me, I can do what I want. Uh, you know, the Galatians are stuck over here in to legalism. The Corinthians are going to be over here in liberty. So you're going to see Paul write letters to both extremes of Christian thought. Uh, so in chapter 5, you're you know, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, now this whole argument whether the fruit of the Spirit is love and the rest of those are a description of love. Or is love one of the fruit of the spirits? If you sing the song that we teach all the kids, uh, I'm not going to sing because it'll make you all nauseated. Uh, but there's that you know the fruit of the spirit, love, peace, patience, kindness, all the usual ones. Uh, there's some argument that the fruit of the spirit is love, and the rest of that is describing how love works. There are arguments way down over my head into the Greek how this is written in Greek, and whether or not there should be an apostrophe or a semicolon after that. But uh, live by the Spirit and live with love. If you can do that, the rest of this becomes clear. Uh, and then chapter 6, he talks about getting along with each other, bear one another's burden. Uh, just a little side note, chapter, verse 5, for each will bear his own load. Remember what he said, He's a, uh, he makes backpacks for the Roman Empire, that's the word that he uses here. When he says, bear your own load, that's a military term, or carry your own backpack. Uh, just, it's one of those little things you see some of his background coming through. 
You're supposed to help each other, but for normal places, kill your own life. And, and that's a, this balance at the end of when someone's having an overwhelming load, help them. But each of us is supposed to carry our own load as we go through life. And then uh, he closes the letter, reminded, for neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision anything, but it's the new creation. And then all, and all who follow this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And then let no one trouble grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. And that's the end of the first book that Paul writes in the New Testament. And it's 1045. Next week is 1 Thessalonians. Next week after that is 2 Thessalonians. All right, and those are also written by Paul to a totally different audience. All right, see you then. Becca's teaching next week.